uh, this morning to be uh, able to introduce somebody who just means the world to me. Um, I want to say 25 or more years ago, um, going to camp as a youth pastor, meeting uh, another young couple, not a young couple anymore, another young couple, and uh, we, we actually were trying to betroth our children at the time. They had a, a little toddler boy, and we had a toddler girl, and uh, that didn't work out, by the way. Um, but they've just been such close friends off and on through the years. We've had times when we're together a lot and times when we're apart a lot. We served together on the district team, the Pacific Southwest District team under Fernando Castillo, who's coming in a couple weeks. Um, but this, this, is a, this is a man that I can share the depths of my soul with. And um, he has a word for you this morning. And I'm so grateful to introduce Barry Mulock to, the, to come and preach to us. So, yeah, give him a hand. And he's like me. He didn't want to be high up on the stage. So he's no, going to be here. No, I did. With two weeks in a row, I guess. Like, thank you, Kev. Good morning. It's so good to be with you today, and uh, yeah, Kevin and I have known each other since we had hair, so like, it's, been, it's been a long time, and um, you know, I love, you know, if you have those relationships, those friendships, like Kev said, where you, you're with each other for a season, and then there's a time where you don't see each other a lot, but when you do come back together, you just pick right up where you were, and there was no like you haven't called me, I haven't called you, it didn't get weird or awkward, we're just able to, to jump right in. And in fact, uh, a few years ago, uh, Kevin and I both had the opportunity to, to walk through a master's degree program, we were part of the same cohort, and I'll tell you what, if you want to get close to someone, do a master's degree program with them, you'll learn a lot about them. Um, but we love Kevin and Brenda, known Pastor Vince and Larissa for many years as well, we served together uh, at a church up in L.A. Um, in fact, when my wife and I were junior high pastors at Florence Avenue, when we had left to go and church plant, Vince stepped into uh, the role that we were in. And so got, just have celebrated as they have walked with the Lord and got to come to San Diego. I love uh, Pastor Mark Slomka as a good friend. And, uh, and so just feel very connected to this body, to this church. And uh, up until recently, this last December, my wife and I were pastoring a congregation up in Glendora. And as with many churches, COVID kind of threw us a curveball. Our church had been meeting in a school for 20 years, so even predating our time at the church. And uh, we found out on a Friday that we couldn't meet on Sunday, and that was it. We never had the opportunity to go back. We're had, had trouble finding uh, a facility to meet in. And then this past December, after being online for 19 months, uh, we ended up merging the congregation with another church. And my wife and I uh, stepped away from senior pastoring. I get to serve with our denomination in our communication team. And one of the things that's a blessing in that is I, I get to visit other churches. When you're pastoring a church, you don't have a lot of chance to go and visit other churches. But uh, just a few weeks ago, I actually had the chance, I was invited to speak uh, at a church up in Artesia, and it was the first time in two years that I'd spoken to a live audience. And, and it, was a, it was kind of a trip. <laughs> it was 
after being in ministry for many years and preaching regularly, uh, all of a sudden I found myself in this place. And so part of the reason I'm down here and not up on the stage is I just want to be closer to you. Uh, I just miss being with people. And so I'm a people person. I'm an extreme extrovert. I love I love being with people, so please come and say hi after. I've met a whole bunch of you already this morning, and, uh, and again, just really, really good to be with you. I want to share a message this morning entitled, Along the Way, A Slower Walk with Jesus. It's a long, a long title. Along the Way, A Slower Walk with Jesus. It's amazing how busy our lives can become, even when we don't intend them to, to be. Would you, would you agree with that? Have you noticed that in, in your life? Our lives can become very full very quickly. And in the process, we can become incredibly impatient. We can be, become hurried. We, we, can, we can live with no margin, going from week to week, month to month, and kind of wondering where did the time go and what has been accomplished in that time and feeling badly because we didn't get all the things done that we thought we needed to get done. And so we try and set up different ways of thinking and, and, and behaving in our lives, structures and calendars and apps and tools and resources, thinking, well, this will help me get the things done that I need to get done. Is, is it just me or anyone else kind of felt the, that, that rat race, right? There's people to, places to go, people to see and things to do things to accomplish. And as a result, we can wake up in the morning already anxious and stressed out. How many have ever had a dream about the things you need to get done? Right? It is not a fun dream. I like, I like dreams that involve beaches and palm trees, maybe like being on my kayak. But when I know, and it's one of the indicators in my life, one of the things I look out for is if I start dreaming about the things that I need to get done, something's not right. Something's out of place. Something's out of whack. And it's time to do some assessing. But we're not just busy in our activity. We get busy in our thinking. Our minds can just be always going. We can be in a place where, where even when we stop, even when we stop activity, our minds are going, and we're thinking about the things we should be doing. I remember uh, when I was a kid, my parents were in YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and, and one of the courses they were taking, uh, they were required to read a book, and the book, I remember, I was just a little kid, but I remember the cover, and it was this cartoon couple sitting on a beach in, a, in, you know, in their beach chairs and an umbrella, and they had little thought bubbles. And in those thought bubbles, you know, it was, unfortunately, it was very stereotypical because the man had, like, the desk piled up with work and the lady had the, the washing machine with laundry. So that's kind of a bummer. But, but the title of the book was this, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. And it stuck with me. I, I never read the book, <laughs> but the, the, the cover was enough. And I, I, I was probably 12, 13 years old when I remember seeing that, but it got burned into him. My consciousness, I remember that. And I thought, I don't want to be that. As a kid, I thought, I don't want to be that. Fast forward years down the road, I ended up being that. That was my life. I was, when I would stop, all I could think about was all of the things I hadn't accomplished, all the things I hadn't done. And it wasn't just the weekly things. What have I done with my life? 
What have I accomplished with my life? What have I done with the, the opportunities that God has given me? And rather than feeling joy and God's pleasure over my life, I felt guilt and shame. And I got to tell you, up until recently, that has been the mark of my life and my ministry, which is no fun for my marriage and for my, my wife. And it's been no fun for my kids because we neglect the things that are most important in our lives when we get into this place where we're like, I just got to get stuff done. We're not able to be fully present with God, and we can't be fully present with people. Ironically, COVID gave us an opportunity to slow down. And man, did we fight it. Right? Now, it wasn't ideal. Having a pandemic and stay-at-home orders and it was crazy. I, I said we, we went from Friday finding out we couldn't meet to Sunday we were live streaming. Figured out pretty quickly that live streaming wasn't for us because it turned me into not a very nice person to be around because it's stressful. So we made the decision to start pre-recording. I would record my sermon. Our worship team would come in and we would record worship sets. We would edit it together and then we would do a simulated live service. And then I actually got to sit and watch service with my family. Um, but but we, we had to stop. Everything changed, but we fought it. I also started a new job that next Monday. My job with Foursquare started that next Monday. So, so things were just, just kind of, I, I didn't want to go into lockdown. I don't want to stay home. But there was an invitation in the midst of it, even though we fought it, even though the, I think it highlighted the busyness of our lives. When you go from everyone going everywhere, doing everything, to you can't go anywhere, can't go to a movie, can't go out to dinner. Come on, the traffic was amazing, right? You're like, this is, this is incredible. I can, I can go for a drive and no one else is out on the road. And so we got forced into the slowdown season. And I think this, the way that we've been ingrained in our culture, in our society, in our thinking, and even in our faith, in our religious experiences, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel normal to slow down. I need to speed, speed things back up. And what's, I think what could be sad about that is we miss an opportunity, an invitation from the Lord to say, hey, slow down. Slow down. See, because when we ramp up, when we speed up, when we're going at the speed of whatever demands are on our time and on our being, on our person, it has a huge impact on our relationships. And at the end of the day, the kingdom of God, this life, is not about what you accomplish. It's not about the job that you work, the money that you make, the things that you accumulate. It's all about relationship. You have been designed by God with an, a, a capacity for relationship. You're the only beings. We're the only being in all of creation that have the capacity for relationship. That we can look each other in the eye, that we can have conversations, that we can have empathy and feel for each other and, and have compassion for each other. And that we're, as we're designed in the image of God, Imago Dei, that's a capacity that is unique to us as human beings. But when we get busy, we can miss the very thing that God has designed us for, that being relationship has an impact on our relationship with God because we end up having very little time to be with Jesus 
to spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, to think about who God is and who He is to us, to hear His voice. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And it has an impact on our relationships and our connection with people, whether it's people that are close to us or just people in the world. Think about this. The people that you encounter throughout the day, you have some kind of relationship with them. Even the people at the grocery store, you might not know everything about them. You might not hang out with them. But when you interact with something, there's a relational exchange that is happening. That is relationship. And the amazing thing is that in a moment, in a momentary exchange of relational equity and relational uh, um, just back and forth with another human being, you, can, you could change their life forever, for eternity, by the things, by being present, by, by listening, by just being attuned to who they are and what's going on in their lives. See, people can become, when we're busy and we're moving at this fast pace, people become an irrit- irritant or an inconvenience. Come on, we live in Southern California. I'll reference the freeway again because this is because it's right outside the door. Right? We see the level of impatience on the road. When you're sitting in traffic, when people are cutting someone, none of you, of course, it's all the other people, but someone gets cut off, right? And you see the road rage and the anger and the frustration. If you're at a stoplight and it turns green, how long it takes between you not moving and the person behind you honking their horn, right? And, and, and rather than COVID being an opportunity for us to slow down and become just just more well-rounded human beings and operate out of kindness, it actually went the other way. I don't know if you noticed, but people came out of COVID meaner, angrier, more frustrated. Like, we have a problem. Our souls are in trouble. So we'd be, or maybe you go to the airport and you get on, you're waiting in line to get on a plane where everyone has a seat that they've been assigned, except if you fly southwest. Everyone has a seat that you've been assigned. Everyone's going to get on the plane, yet there's this impatience. Just, oh, don't cut in front of me and pushing. And I'm like, just take a breath. It's not going to take off without you, without a pilot. We're going to get there. It's going to be okay. And like I said, it's not just with strangers. It's also with the people we know and we love, our family. We can get so busy in our own minds and in our own activity that we can miss the very people that God has put in our lives, our spouses, our kids, our extended family, our friendships, and our church community. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Israel for the very first time, and thankfully, I had the opportunity to go with my good friend Kevin. Um, it was It was... Fernando, who's coming in a couple of weeks to speak, he's the one who, as the district supervisor every year who would do this trip to Israel, and he would take pastors along with him. And so he had invited us, knowing that we were friends, to go and to spend some time in Israel. Now, I'm going to be honest, I, I love traveling, but I'd never thought about going to Israel. I'd heard pastors and churches and congregations going to Israel, and, and I had this, this idea, like, I don't need to go to Israel. Like, I don't need to go. I've read the book right? I read the book. I get it. I've been to Bible college. I've been a pastor for years. I don't need to go. But someone offered me a free trip to Israel. I'm going to go to Israel. 
We were there for 13 days, and I cried like a baby for 13 days. It changed my life. And I would encourage you, if you have the, ever have the opportunity to go and visit Israel, do it. It changed my life. It changed my view of Scripture and my understanding, the way I read the Bible. See, I, I thought, I don't need this. I don't need this. But it was so good. And it wasn't what you would think the impacting things would be. The historical sites and the holy sites were amazing. I was asked to lead a devotion. I was told, hey, part of you going and us paying for your trip is you need to lead a devotion at one of the sites. And I told Fernando, I'm like, hey, I don't want to go first. I'm like, he's like, you're on day three. I'm like, great. And, uh, and we end up, he's, and it was assigned to me, he's like, you're going to preach on Mount Carmel, where, right, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. And everyone who ever leads a sermon or a devotion on Mount Carmel is like, should I? And you're like, no, I'm not even going to, because that would just be embarrassing. Um, and he's like, day three. Well, day, day one and two were our travel days, so it ended up I was first. I'm like, thanks a lot, Fernando. Um, but that, 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 as cool as that was, as cool as it was going to the Sea of Galilee and going to Jerusalem, the thing that struck me, the thing that I walked away with was the landscape. And it was the distance between places. You see, when we read the Bible and I hope you do, I hope you read scripture, when we read Bible, there's two things that happen for us. We, we read it in a condensed fashion. What we have is this condensed thing. We go from chapter one to chapter two, and we're like, oh, those things happen sequentially right after each other. But there's these huge gaps of time, and there's these huge gaps of distance that happened. And so when it says that Jesus went from this place to another place, it didn't, he didn't just magically jump from one to the other, and he didn't take an Uber, right? He didn't ride on a train. There was a, there was a journey that took place. And as we rode around Israel, as we drove from place to place, I was struck by the distances that the disciples and Jesus traveled when we read Scripture, the, the time that it took them for, to get from one place to the other. And so we read Scripture with this condensed timeline, and, and with this condensed geography, not understanding the amount of work that went into just going from one place to another. See, Jesus walked. He walked everywhere. That was their primary means of transportation. Animals were for carrying pregnant ladies and goods. You only rode on a camel if you were extremely wealthy Everyone else walked, and it was just the norm. Jesus went. In fact, we read all throughout the New Testament in the Gospels. Jesus went from this place to that place. Jesus went up. Jesus went down. Jesus went around. And every time you read that, Jesus went. It means that Jesus was walking. Like Forrest Gump, he says, anytime I was going anywhere, I was running. Right? Jesus was walking. Jesus went up to a quiet place to pray. In fact, and I'll get to that in a second, actually. I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus went throughout, throughout Galilee, teaching the people, casting out demons, healing their diseases. Jesus went up from Galilee to Jerusalem. So it sounds like, oh, cool. He just walked from Galilee to Jerusalem. No big deal. Well, I live in Glendora, which is 110 miles from here. 
Jerusalem, Galilee, and Galilee are the same distance. So if Kevin had invited me to come and speak, or Vince invited me to come and speak, and he said, hey, I want you to come and speak at Faith, um, but we had no cars and no train, and the only mode of transportation was I had to walk, I would not have left on Friday afternoon or Saturday or this morning. I did come down a little bit early. We got to hang out with Kevin Brenda. I would have left a few days ago. A journey would have probably taken, well, I don't walk a lot, so maybe a little longer for me, right? Maybe four days, three or four days of, of just walking all day. And I would not be as energetic as I am right now, guarantee you that, be exhausted. It's 110 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, and by the way, it's an elevation change of 3,000 feet. So you're not just walking, you're walking uphill. It says that Jesus went up to a mountain to pray. One of my favorite spots in Israel was this. I actually have a picture. This is Mount Arbel, and it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful, beautiful setting. Um, Jordan on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, on the north shore, kind of where those clouds are, is where Capernaum would have been, where Peter was from. Uh, and then just south of where this is, is where the modern city of Tiberias is. Uh, and it's believed that it, when, it, when the Bible says that Jesus went on a mountaintop to pray, they believe, scholars believe, this is where he went. Which means wherever he was, he climbed up this mountain to go pray. He walked. I have this, uh, this image set as the desktop on my computer as a daily reminder, and I'm just going to leave that up for our time. I'll read the passages. They won't be up on the screen, because I want us to, to think about the importance of Jesus stopping, going to a place to just slow down to be with the Father. This is where he would go, but to get there, he had to walk. See, estimates are, conservative estimates are, that during his life, Jesus walked 21,000 plus miles, 21,000 miles, and during his ministry over the course of three years, over 3,000 miles that Jesus walked. That seems unfathomable, doesn't it? That we would walk 3,000 miles a year. Now, I know, like, I'm not wearing my Apple Watch today. Maybe you have an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, and you count your steps, right? You're like, I want to hit that 10,000 mark. 10,000 steps at anyone, Any, right? Yeah, a few of you. You're like, I want to hit that mark. Not an issue for Jesus, right? He was hitting that mark every day. They were going somewhere. They were walking. But here's the point. It's not about Jesus walking. The thing that struck me as we're driving down a specific point, in fact, in Israel, we're driving in the bus, and I'm looking out the window, driving down the Jordan Valley, we just left Tiberias. We'd gone past the, the, uh, one of the traditional baptismal sites in the Jordan River. And you head down the Jordan Valley towards the, the Dead Sea before you get to Jericho. And then you make a right turn. You go up the mountain to Jerusalem. And I'm looking out the window. And I have a vivid imagination. And as I'm looking out the window, I see Jesus and the disciples and this crowd in the dust just strolling along kids running around, some animals around, people walking the other direction. Probably the most impactful moment I had in Israel. Because I think we read Scripture and we think about Jesus as being, oh, 
right? Jesus. He was a man with dirty feet from walking in sandals in the mud and in the clay and in the dirt. And along the way, he encountered people. Jesus met people. He walked with them. He walked and traveled with his disciples. Bible says that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He slept out under the stars. How many times did Jesus sit with the disciples around a fire with no pollution, no light pollution, no air pollution, gazing at the heavenlies, gazing at the stars, sitting under a date palm, having, having a meal together and laughing? I thought, oh, that's the kind of Jesus I want to relate to. He spent time with them. And yes, he taught them, but it's not all he did. He wasn't teaching 24-7. He spent time with relationship. He met them, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. He's on his way from one place to another, and they stop in this town, and he sends the disciples into town to get something to eat, and he hangs back at the well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, which is not when you go and you draw water from the well, but here's this woman whose life is so filled with shame. She's not a Jew. She's a Samaritan. She has a reputation in town. She's not married. She's been married multiple times before, which Jesus gets to that point in the conversation with her. And I think sometimes as Christians, we want to go, Jesus told her the truth. And even that, you're like, ugh. The Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And he meets her in a gracious way. On his way from one place to another, he meets a woman at a well, and he engages her, he, he honors her, he dignifies her by just even talking to her, asks her for a drink, and she's like, what are you doing? You're Jew. I'm, I'm a Samaritan. And he opens up the way to, to have a life-changing encounter with her in this moment to the point where he even speaks to the sinful things in her life in a way that she's able to receive it and then runs into town and tells everyone, hey, come and meet this man who told me everything about me. And imagine the community's like, yeah, we know. And she doesn't care because she's had this life transformation. It's a different sermon. I could go off on that one. John 4, go read about it. He taught people, the multitude, multiple times. The, the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus was going from one place to another. It says that he went around the region of Galilee teaching people, and so they would just find a field and sit down, and he would teach them. He'd go out in a boat and use the, uh, the acoustics of, of the water to carry sound so he could reach more people. And Jesus sees the crowds, and he wants to minister to them. Says that along the way that he ate with them. Remember Zacchaeus? The plan wasn't to go to Zacchaeus' house. It wasn't on the agenda, right? I had the opportunity for a number of years to be a missions pastor, and we would take teams to, to Africa and to Haiti and different places, and, and there were all the, always the person on the team who's like, okay, so what's the agenda, I want to know what we're doing every day. And I'm like, well, I'll give you kind of a loose idea of what we're doing. But you got to understand, like, when you're in another country, in another culture, when you're dealing, you think traffic is bad in, in San Diego, Kenya, Nairobi. Well, I got stuck in a traffic jam in Nairobi once because there was cattle in the road. 
And you're like, a drive, a 10-minute drive on one day could be a two-hour drive the next day for no rhyme or reason. And so the agenda goes out the window. There was no agenda. Jesus was like, hey, today, gang, we're going to have our, our morning brief, and disciples, today we're going to go to these places, and then at 4 o'clock we're going to meet Zacchaeus. No, he's just walking. He's actually going through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and what does he say? Come down. I'm going to go eat with you in your house today, which was scandalous. How dare he? Does Jesus know who that man is, that tax collector, that sinner, that fraud, that swindle, that guy, that Jewish guy who sold himself out to the Romans and is taking advantage of this community, whose political views do not line up with mine? It's quiet in this church. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm going to your house to eat. And he eats with Zacchaeus. And in that moment, Zacchaeus says, listen, if I've cheated, if I've done anything wrong, I will give back more than what I've taken. And his life is transformed by the presence of Jesus. Jesus healed people, the crippled man in Mark 2, the blind man in Matthew 12, the demonic demoniac in Mark 5. And keep in mind that what we have in the Gospels is not everything. John says in John 21, 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I, I like saying this. I think looking around this room, many of you will get this, we get the Reader's Digest version. I say that in some places I'm like, I'm met with blank stares. The what? <laughs> we get the, the condensed, the Reader's Digest version. That's the abridged version, Right? What we have in Scripture is a snapshot. So when we take the Bible and we go, this is what Jesus did. No, Jesus did a whole bunch of other stuff as well. And we, have to, we, we can't just be like, well, the gospel, yes, the gospel is the word of God. But we've got to remember there's so much more that it's not even written down. Jesus walked everywhere and he met people and he encountered them and he ministered and he walked slowly. Over the course of three years, Jesus was not in a hurry. There was nothing frenetic about his life and his ministry. In fact, when people started putting demands on Jesus, that he would go this place, do this thing, the people expect, he would be like, I'm good, I'm just going to go for a walk. Check it out in Scripture, it's true. Whenever the, the expectations were, Jesus, you need to, he's like, I'm going to go spend some time with the Father. Because I'm not going to buy into that. That's not who I am. Church, we're called to be like Jesus. Paul says in Romans 8 that we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. That, that our most effect, we're, we're most effective when we reflect Jesus well into the world. So I'm going to ask you, when we are hurried and frenetic and so busy that we can't stop to see people and encounter them and, in, and encounter them and, and engage them with grace and compassion, are we reflecting Jesus well or at all? And there becomes this disconnect between religion and the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that some of Jesus' harshest words were reserved for the religious people who went through the motions religiously, and they missed the very people that God's heart had intended to reach. One of my favorite encounters 
for Jesus was in the home of Martha. And I think we, many of us would be familiar with this story. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And it says this, I'll read it for us. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Amazing how we could just read over that, right? It's there for a reason. Luke includes, by the way, Luke is the doctor, right? He's the detailed person. He includes this for a reason. They were on their way. They were going from one place to another, but they stopped at the home of Martha. They came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Jesus, come, come to my house. Okay, sure. By the way, there's like 100 people that come with me. <laughs> it's fine, come in. Let's pack the house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. There's a lot going on in your head and in your heart. Your, your brain is spinning out of control. Few things are needed, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I want to start this by this, unpacking this a little bit by saying this. Martha gets a bad rap. Martha, Martha gets a bad rap. I, I hear so many people are like, don't be a Martha. Now, Martha was doing what was expected of Martha in that culture. And, she, and she, it was her job as, as the owner of this home and as the hostess to prepare a place. There was customs and, and things that needed to be done, the washing of feet, the preparing of the meal, the, right? Remember, it's, they don't have electricity. The sun's going to go down, and then it's dark. And so we've, we're, we're racing against the sun, not the clock, the sun. And so there's things that need to be done. And, and so it's not bad that she was doing things. The issue with Martha wasn't that she was busy. That wasn't the problem. It was the condition of her heart and her posture towards Jesus. That was the issue. And then on top of the fact that, on top of that, the fact that she wanted her sister to, to come and help her, we'll get into that in a second. Luke doesn't name the name of the village, but we know later on from John that this is the home of Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. Uh, and Jesus becomes very close with this family. He spends a lot of time, and of course, Lazarus is the one who dies and is risen back from, it comes out of the grave wrapped in the grave cloths. And so this is a, a family unit that Jesus is very comfortable with. Uh, in fact, before he dies before he goes to the garden at Gethsemane. He spends time in, in this very same home. Mary is the one who would come and anoint Jesus' feet with perfume. And so there's this intimacy, this really beautiful picture of this relationship. But there's some things that I want to draw, some points that I want to draw out of this passage, and I'll tie back to Jesus' encounter with these two sisters. Here's, here's what I want to walk, us to walk away with today is this. The slowing down creates opportunities for three things. It creates opportunities for connection. Slowing down creates opportunities for understanding. And slowing down creates opportunities for compassion. And I'm going to walk through each of those and how they tie together. 
So slowing down, having a slow down spirituality, walking slowly like Jesus did, creates opportunities for connection. That we are created for relationship. I'm using the word connection today. That we're to be connected to God. We're to be connected to ourselves. And we're to be connected to other people. And I think sometimes we hear in church, we hear in teaching, like, love God, love others. And, and, and we hear that out of Scripture. Jesus said that, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I've added the connecting with self part for a reason. And I want to talk about that just after we talk about connecting with God, because that's where we start. Jesus took time to go up to this mountain to pray. Not because someone had told him, hey, listen, if you don't read your Bible and pray every day, that you will grow. Read your Bible, grow every day. What's the song? You'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible, don't pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And while there's truth to that, it's a horrible motivator. <laughs> I read my Bible and I pray because I want to connect with the Father. I want to experience the love of God. Jesus went up on the mountaintop to be with his Father, to, to enjoy the presence of his Father. There was nothing, there was nothing wrote about it. It was, a, it was a deep cry of his heart, a desperate need of who he was. It, when we when we slow down, we can connect with God, which is the most important thing that we can do in our lives. You see, being with Jesus is more important than doing for Jesus. Can I say that again? That being with Jesus is way more, infinitely more important than doing for Jesus. Because what we can do is we start doing for Jesus without being with Jesus. And at the end of the day, we go, God, look what I did for you. And he goes, I didn't ask you to do that. Didn't never expected that of you. That's not what I was looking for. That being with Jesus defines who we are, how we, how we function, what our lives look like, and then ultimately what the activity of our lives, the doing part of us, becomes. We see this with Mary and Martha. Martha comes and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And I love this. It's so, it's so brash. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Her thinking is this. I'm going to get God on my side to manipulate someone to do something I want them to do. I'm going to use scripture. I'm going to use my understanding of scripture. I'm going to use language. I'm going to go to God and say, God, get this person to do the thing I want them to do. And I think we should all feel a little sting in that because we, like Martha, it's not hard for us to go there. It's not hard for us to go there. Tell her to help me. And Jesus, very gently, he wasn't yelling at Martha. Martha, you are wrong. You are out of, who do you think you are to talk to me like that? You are a woman. You don't know your place in this culture. And I am the son of God. No, this is not the Jesus we know and love. He says, no, Martha, Martha, Martha. There's a lot going on inside of you. 
There's so much. And you're worried about a lot of things and you're busy with a lot of things. But I gotta tell you, your sister, she's chosen the better thing. And the better thing is being at the feet of Jesus. There's always gonna be a meal to prep. There's always gonna be a house to clean. There's always gonna be a job to be done. But the better thing is this, come and sit at my feet. See, there's work to do, but never at the expense of being with Jesus. It's the invitation out of John 15 from Jesus himself. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll tell you how I read John 15, 5. I used to read John 15, 5. It's all about the fruit. It's all, anyone else? Like, you're like, okay, if I want to produce fruit, I've got to stay connected to Jesus. And in that, we miss the whole point. The fruit isn't the point. Being connected to Jesus is the point, and the fruit is the result. It's so ingrained in us. Produce, 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 produce. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not you cannot be fruitful. You can't do anything. If you, any gardeners in the house today? Right, you know this. If you cut a branch off of a tree, what happens to it? It withers. It dies. It cannot live apart from the, the vine. There's no life flowing to it. That when we're not connected to Jesus, there is no life flow in our lives. There is nothing of the Spirit of God moving in our lives. It's not that we can't be fruitful. We can't live without Jesus. We can't live without being connected to Him, being in His presence, to know Him throughout our day. It's not just about doing my devotions. Again, this is the, the church culture I grew up in was do your devotions, not be with Jesus. It was implied but as a kid, I'm going to just do what I'm told to do. And I didn't learn how to delight in the presence of God, that he wasn't disappointed if I missed it day, that he wasn't going, sorry, you missed yesterday. So I can't meet you today. You got to work back up to it. You got to earn that time with me. No. We will be with him throughout the day, that we would delight in him, that we sense his closeness and his pleasure. You know that God is pleased with you. He loves you so much, and he is pleased with you. He beams over you. And I just want to go sit in that and go, God, I want to receive this. You love me. God, the things in my life are uncomfortable and hard and difficult and relationships are complicated. So I'm just going to come and sit with you because I know that you are pleased with me and you love me. And yes, God will teach us and he will grow us. And, you know, I, we, again, we default to things like, well, God disciplines those he loves. Man, the way we even say that is like, oh, yes, he does, but not the kind of way that we do. That is so gentle. I served with a pastor for a number of years who ended up being uh, the president of our denomination. Paul Risser was an amazing man of God, but he was a tough, tough man. I hated getting called to his office because <laughs> I had that like, it's like going to the principal's office. But here's the incredible thing. You go sit with Dr. Risser 
in his office, and even there for something that he had to correct about you or your behavior or what was, you know, working for him, you would walk out knowing you just got spanked in spiritual terms, but you would feel so good about yourself. And he's the one person, one of the people, the primary people in my life where I understood what it means to be disciplined by God, where you walk again, oh, I know I just got corrected, but man, I feel like a million bucks. I want to learn to do that better. See, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to connect with ourselves. See, we can live disconnected from God, but we can also disconnect from our very own being. I'm a car guy. Any car people? I'm not going to assume there's just car guys, but any car people in the house? All right. One or two. I'm the kind of guy who, when I'm driving my car, if it starts making the slightest noise that doesn't belong, I hear it. I'm like, something's not right. My wife's like, what do you hear? Something's not right. There's a rattle, there's a squeak, there's a hum, there's something is not right. And then I'm like, I've got to figure that out. What's not going right? Now, thankfully... Car manufacturers don't rely on us being able to hear or sense what's wrong with our cars. They have a light that pops up. Well, check engine light. It says, hey, something's wrong. You need to maintain. You need to fix your car. Something's not going right. So you either pull the code yourself like I do, or you take it to a shop, and they tell you, okay, this is what's going on. We need to repair it. And sometimes it's an easy repair, minor repair, and sometimes it's a big repair. But you know this is if you keep driving your car with a check engine light on, Eventually, it's just going to die. If you don't put gas in the tank, it's not going to work. If you don't change the oil, and if you don't rotate your tires, and if you don't put new tires on, if you don't change your brakes, you're going to end up stuck on the side of the road somewhere, right? And we understand that when it comes to our car. You see, our cars are integrated. Everything works together, so it functions well. Well, in the same way, we are designed by God to be integrated. That we, we And these are terms that are... are common in psychology and, 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 and understanding how we're wired, two of, two of the terms that, that I want to use today, correlation and integration. It's how we make sense of the world, how we make sense of our relationships and who we are and our physical being and, and, and our place in the world, that when the parts of you are working well together, your soul is well. It is well with my soul. There's no check engine light on. Everything is going well. But like I said, when I start dreaming about work, it's a check engine light for me. It's a warning that something's out of whack. Something's not. There's a bump. There's a hum. There's a squeak. There's something that's not functioning the way it should. And it's an opportunity for me to step back and go, okay. But here's the thing. If I just ignore those signs, if I ignore those, 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 those moments where God says, hey, Pay attention to this. God, I can't do that right now because I'm busy doing this thing for you. No, no, no. I want you to slow down. You're going to burn out. It's like when we started live streaming. My kids are, are an important part of our team. They were helping to run the live stream, and they're very tech savvy. And I realized I'm preaching, getting up and preaching the word of God, but I was being an absolute jerk to my kids because I was stressed out. And I was like, this doesn't work. And so we made a change. It didn't matter what everyone else was doing. I'm like, 
we got to stop. Because I can't preach the word of God and be a jerk to my kids. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And so we have to slow down so that we can listen to what, what God is saying to us and what he's telling us in our very beings. What are your, our ability in, in correlation and integration, our ability to connect our emotions and our intellect and our will and our spirit and our relationships, making sense of our thinking, our feelings and our faith our hurts, our failures, our hopes, our dreams, and the culture around us. And if we don't live connected to God and connected to ourselves, we can miss all of those things, which doesn't bring down our anxiety and our stress. It increases it. And then we're designed to connect to each other in the same way that Jesus walked around ministering, touching people's lives. Both the expected, right? He had the 12 disciples. He had the three, Peter, James, and John, that he spent extra time with. He's like, guys, I really want to pour into you. You're going to have an important role when I leave. There's some things that you're going to be called on to do, and I'm going to need you guys to leave, and I'm going to invest some, some extra time in you guys. And there's the 120. There's a whole group that traveled with Jesus. But then there were the unexpected people along the way that he connected with. And then Jesus would stop and he would be with them. So when we slow down, when we're not running through our day, that we can actually connect with the people around us. That God says, hey, I want you to just share a word of encouragement with the cashier at the grocery store. Now, I'm already frustrated because the person in front of me had so many items. And then they pulled out their coupons. And then they pulled out a checkbook. He even uses a checkbook anymore. And we ramp up and we get anxious and we're in a hurry. And then we, you know, per whatever the person's name is standing across. And they all wear name tags. And we miss that because like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And I just got to get out of here so I can go home and watch TV <laughs> or whatever else it is. God says, no, I, slow down. Slow your breathing. Slow your thinking. Be present with this person for 20 seconds. Hey, how are you doing today? We know, I have a, a good friend up in Vegas. He's a youth pastor and now senior pastoring a church. And my favorite thing that he says is like, don't make it weird. Like sometimes we just make things weird. Like, how are you doing today? And then we start going into, how can I pray for you today? And what are the things? And you're like, no, there's no time for this. And maybe if God prompts you, but be sensitive. How are you? And then listen. Thanks for asking. Man, it's been a rough day. I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. Opportunities to connect, connect with the people that are close to us. Connect. How often do we come to church? We come in, we, we worship, we might say hi to a couple of people, and we walk out, and we go, oh, did I actually connect with anyone today? To stop and go, hey, how's it going? And we, and we give the answer, right? Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. How are, because we know this. You're asking, but you don't really want to know because you're just going through the motions. But what if? What if we actually were like Jesus to each other and stopped and said, how are you? And then said, I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait and allow the Spirit of God to minister through me. We've got five just a couple of minutes left. Slowing down creates opportunities for understanding. We can't understand people if we don't connect with them. What is God saying? 
What is God doing? See, Mary was listening to Jesus. James 1.19 and 20 says, My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, we've got to avoid snap judgments. We see someone and we're like, oh, I know what you're all about. We all do it. We size someone up. and We have no idea. We don't know how to listen and be present, to actively listen, to stop, to slow down. Hey, how are you? What's going on in your life? And then to stop talking long enough for them to actually say what's going on. Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he, uh, one of the tools I learned from him was this, that when, when you encounter someone who their views, their thoughts, their dress, their demeanor, just, it just gets you riled up. You're like, oh, oh no, right? Am I anyone else, right? You just are like, you arrive at all kinds of conclusions really quickly. He, he uses this phrase, he says, turn to wonder, turn to wonder. Oh, I wonder what it is in this person's life, in their journey that's led them to this place. To believe what they believe, to walk the way they walk, to talk the way they talk. Turn to wonder. And God will meet us in that. And what happens is my final point today is that as we connect and as we begin to understand what's happening in people's lives and even understand what God is saying, is that we we become compassionate people, that we get moved with compassion. Psalm 145, 9 says, the Lord is good to all. Could you say to all with me? Say to all. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Not some, not the people who believe this or go to that church or have this theology. He has compassion on all he has made. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion, not ideology, not politic, politics, not people's expectations. He was moved with compassion. There's this Greek word, splonknizomai. I love it. Splonknizomai. When Jesus had compassion, he had splonknizomai, and it means that his guts, his bowels, ached for people that he didn't make a mental assessment and go i really feel sorry for that person he saw people he connected with them he understood their condition and he was moved to his very the core of his being with splunk nizomai and he had compassion on them and he ministered to them we reflect jesus when we live like Jesus. But we can only live like Jesus when we slow down like Jesus did. Could I invite you today to evaluate your own life, to turn to wonder for yourself and go, I wonder why it is that I feel these pressures, these stresses, why I'm easily angered, why I get sad, why these things bother me. Turn to wonder, why are these things here? Connect with God, connect with yourself, connect with the people around you, and allow God to move your heart with Splunk Can I pray for you? Jesus, I thank you 
that you are this incredible example of how we are to live and move and have our being. And you invite us into a slow down, contemplative, intentional, deep relationship with you that informs every part of who we are. So Jesus, meet us. Speak to us. Help us to connect with you, to connect with ourselves and connect with the people around us. Help us to walk with understanding and not assumption. And Jesus, cause us to be a compassionate people in a world that desperately needs the compassion of Jesus. Help us to be your hand and feet in that way, I pray.